One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Viva Las Vegas! What's up, Truth Seekers? Dennis Nappy II here. Past week, I was in the lovely Las Vegas state at the Cosmopolitan Hotel. I was there for the Litecoin Summit, and what an amazing journey it was. I was there with the crypto viewing team, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, man. And Wow, it was just... I've never been to Vegas before, so uh, it was... What a beautiful city. I, I, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced before, so it was cool to travel. It was cool to uh, connect with the crypto viewing team. And uh, a lot of our subscribers were out there as well. Got me thinking, man, I'd love to do a uh, secret podcast trip, some kind of an event or something at some point in time uh, and connect with some of you out there. It was really cool connecting with uh, our followers from Crypto Viewing. And uh, I hope one day we can put on an event and connect with those of you that have been supporting this show and this platform as well, because it was it was enlightening, enlightening, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, interesting show this evening. Uh, again, back on the air. A few news stories, and I want to focus around some of the To The Stars Academy stuff with UFO. Chris Mellon uh, released an op-ed today um, through thehill.com. So I want to talk about what's going on with UFOs and the implications that has right now, some new developments on that. Uh, as we know, it's something that we're tracking. Uh, people in the UFO community are paying attention to, but everybody else doesn't seem to care. I have an article I'll get to in a little bit. It's from the Army Times. This is the, the paper for people in the military to read, talking about the existence of UFOs. Yet you talk to somebody on the street, nobody wants to acknowledge it or their eyes. They're just bored with it. I, this is exciting stuff. And, and I get it. It's not for everybody, but... We have an acknowledgement that there's a, a an advanced technology, and we can assume it's by an advanced civilization that we don't know about that's operating among us. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody is talking about it. 
I, I it just it blows my mind. It really blows my mind. So let me jump back to uh, to Las Vegas. Here's something else that blows my mind. I'm going to say a few things here that I don't want to be taken the wrong way. I don't want I don't want to come off as if this is my ego uh, or bragging or name dropping. Um, so my apologies if that's how it sounds. It's it's not. I just I had an amazing experience with amazing people, and I'm I'm so thankful for that opportunity to go out to Las Vegas to link up with uh, my friends and teammates from crypto viewing. It was really cool, and then to to be constantly bumping into people that follow our work and to hear their feedback and their experiences was just an amazing experience and and talking with uh with Edward Reardon and Dick Allgaier in person on you know on scene you know I, I have to sit here and think here's nothing that goes through my head have you ever tried talking to somebody about remote viewing less people know about remote viewing than they do about aliens so the or the ufos or uaps so more people know about uaps and that's a very small circle and even less people know about remote viewing both of which are verified in very credible ways and one of the things that's been amazing to me over the last year is working with remote viewers with daz smith and um edward reardon and dick allgaier and seeing what they can do every week we're looking at targets Every month we're predicting the news. I say we, they do it. I, I, you know, interview them about it. But we're looking, we're looking into the future. Think, think about that for a minute. There are people here. All of us have the ability to learn to do it. But there are people who are actually doing it, who are looking into the future seeing the future think, i mean think about this, this is good like my head wants to explode some days where it's like okay hey here's what's going to happen next month and i'm not talking predictive analysis i'm not talking taking a guess i'm talking they draw a sketch and uh three weeks a month six weeks later that sketch is a pretty accurate depiction of the uh what something that comes across either the internet or a newspaper and the stuff, the stuff is random stuff. Like Edward predicted, Edward Van, Eddie Van Halen will get cancer, and a month later, sure enough, there's a headline there: Eddie Van Halen with cancer. I just, I'm just amazed. I'm just in awe, and and I I share that, and I try to share it regularly with all of you because what what my research has shown me, and now experience has shown me, is that. We can all learn to do this. We will not all be Edward Reardon's and Dick Allgaier's and Daz Smith's, but we can all tap into this. We can all learn to use this. And it can really, I think, help us out tremendously, not just in looking at the future, but in just gathering information and data and learning. If you listen to Edward's previous interviews, he says, you know, that that's one of the ways in which he learns. He's not a, a big fan of, uh, he wasn't a big fan of being in school and sitting there and listening to the teacher lecture, but he goes and does remote viewing and then that ignites something in him and then he goes and learns more about what he learned through his remote viewing sessions. So, uh, 
Anyway, I, I think this is a valuable tool. I can't stress it enough. Being at the Litecoin conference, uh, we got to attend Bix Weir's um, Litecoin party, which was pretty neat to be there. Um, Bix, you know, he had some speakers there. He, he went over some information about the future of cryptocurrencies. They, I tend to differ, in my opinion, about uh, cryptocurrencies liberating us from our controllers, but that's a discussion for another day. But it was still neat to be there and be a part of that. And the next day, there was the Litecoin Summit. Um, Ron Paul was there and uh, a bunch of other speakers. And uh, my biggest takeaway, again, in listening to everybody and what they were saying, the infrastructure is there and it's coming in, in a major way with cryptocurrencies. What's the rollout going to look like? Well, there's a possibility that the dollar will just fail that we won't be able to access that money anymore. Now, again, I keep hoping for a soft transition, but we should prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Now, I spoke with uh, two companies. Their names are escaping me right now, but it's, it's irrelevant at this point. I'll come back with their names later. But um, what they are showing me, basically, they're, they're, they're the, the next step. It was uh, one company that has a string of over 400 um, cryptocurrency ATMs. And what these ATMs do is you have your cryptocurrency wallet on your phone, take your QR code, and basically you deposit 20, 30, 40 bucks into their machine. You scan your phone and it converts it to cryptocurrency on your phone. You're not going through an exchange, which is nice. And... Um, I mean, it takes 6%, I think is what he said the rate was right now. But the reason that's interesting and exciting is because it's making it easier for people to obtain cryptocurrency. And that's significant in order for this to roll out. Um, and it is going to roll out. And that that's one other step of that integration, that change, that transition. The other one I saw um, was a company that what they have is an app. And this app is partnered with a bunch of the major retailers that, that are out there today. And you have this app, and this app has access to your cryptocurrencies. And you go to pay to the cashier, and the cashier will scan the code on your phone. And that will then take your cryptocurrency and send it to that store and convert it to fiat money, to the dollar. Um so it's the transition piece you're now able to take this app and pay using cryptocurrency for things that cost fiat money the us dollar we're transitioning it's happening already right now and i can give you dozens of other stories and examples about that but this is these are two of the takeaways i had um being at the litecoin summit why am i sharing this my friends i i care about every one of you listening to this show I care about the future of this country, uh, and I care about our, not just survivability, but our ability to thrive. And I wholeheartedly believe that this transition is happening soon, it's already begun, and that if we have knowledge of this, we are empowered by it. And instead of being a victim of it, we can be champions of it, and we can live comfortably. So the more of you I can convince to, to look into cryptocurrency, the, the better. Um, I don't want you guys to struggle. And, and I, I hope that doesn't sound like a fear-based statement. Um, I, I do your, do your research. And, and again, 
Dick Allgaier's YouTube channel. It's free content. Go watch some of his stuff and then start following the rabbit, the rabbit hole or the breadcrumbs from there. Um, and, and again, check out cryptoviewing.com. It's, uh, it's well worth your time and investment, in, in my opinion. Okay, let me move past that uh, and I want to get into some news stuff. Now, this one, this story really hit me hard. Um, and I, now, I haven't, I haven't really been on Facebook or social media. This is one I was like, oh, I want to share this on Facebook. And then I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to catch a lot of backlash for it because people don't want to hear about this. And they're going to do everything they can to debunk this story. It's from The Telegraph, but I also have the actual journal article. It's called, Chemotherapy May Spread Cancer and Trigger More Aggressive Tumors, Warn Scientists. Warn Scientists. Uh, yes, plural. This is an old article. This is from July 6, 2017. But I want to share it anyway. Because I just came across it and... Uh, it hits close to home. Chemotherapy could allow cancer to spread and trigger more aggressive tumors, a new study suggests. Researchers in the U.S. studied the impact of drugs on patients with breast cancer and found medication increases the chance of cancer cells migrating to other parts of the body, where they're almost always lethal. Around 55,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer in Britain every year, and 11,000 will die from their illness. Many are given chemotherapy before surgery, but the new research suggests that although it shrinks tumors in the short term, it could trigger the spread of cancer cells around the body. It is thought the toxic medication switches on a repair mechanism in the body, which ultimately allows tumors to grow back stronger. It also increases the number of, quote, doorways on blood vessels, which allow cancer to spread throughout the body. Dr. George Karagianis of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Yeshina University, New York, found the number of doorways was increased in 20 patients receiving two common chemotherapy drugs. He also discovered that in mice, breast cancer chemotherapy increased the number of cancer cells circulating the body and in the lungs. Dr. Karaganis said women could be monitored during chemotherapy to check if cancer was starting to circulate and doorways were emerging. One approach would be to obtain a small amount of tumor tissue after a few doses of uh, preoperative chemotherapy, he said. If we observe that the marker scores are increased, we'd recommend discontinuing chemo and having surgery first, followed by post-operative chemo. We're currently planning more extensive trials to address the issue. In this study, we only investigated chemotherapy-induced cancer cell dissemination in breast cancer. We're currently working on other types of cancer to see if similar effects are elicited. We'll have this article shared in the show notes for you to review. I'm also going to share the journal article from Science Translational Medicine. It's called Neoadjuvant Chemotherapy Induces Breast Cancer Metastasis Through a TMEM-Mediated Mechanism. Metastasis simply means uh, the cancer is moving. It is migrating. Uh, let's see. I'm going to read two, two parts of this here. The first heading is titled, Closing the Door to Cancer Cells. Breast cancer is one of the most common tumor types, and metastasis greatly increases the risk of death from this disease. By studying the process of in, intravasion, um, goodness, I can't read tonight, intravas, intravasation of entry of cells into the vascular, uh, Karagianis et al. discovered that, in addition to killing tumor cells, chemotherapy treatment can also increase intravasion. 
Groups of cells collectively known as tumor microenvironment of metastasis, TMEM, can serve as gateways for tumor cells entering the vascular, and the authors discovered that several types of chemotherapy can increase the amounts of TMEM complexes and circulating tumor cells in the bloodstream. The researchers also determined that a drug called Rebastinib can interfere with TMEM activity and help overcome the increased risk of cancer cell dissemination. Breast cancer cells disseminate through TI2 cells. I'm reading the abstract now. Uh, dependent cancer cell intra- intravasation sites called tumor microenvironment of metastasis, TMEM, which are clinically validated as pro- prognostic markers of metastasis in breast cancer patients using fixed tissue and intravenal imaging of PYMT. This is all technical, guys, and it's above me. But I read this a bunch of times, and what it's basically saying in the abstract is that they found that chemotherapy can cause more doorways to open and metastasis to uh, take place. Basically, chemotherapy in breast cancer is causing the cancer to spread throughout your body. So, um, be mindful of that. If you're facing cancer, you know somebody who is, research this article, do your own homework and research before you make a decision on treatment. Obviously, consult a medical professional, but be mindful of this, man. This is what my dad went through. And um, my dad didn't start having seizures until the chemotherapy started. And that's when things got really bad. It was the chemo that really made things worse for my dad despite his doctor's lying to my face about it that's all i'm gonna say about that but uh you want to read more about it read food for the archons there we go here's a fun one jeffrey epstein's autopsy more consistent with homicidal strangulation than suicide dr michael badden reveals now this is from fox news and it sounds uh, like it might be something crazy, some kind of conspiracy theory, but I want you to listen to the background of this this guy here. Uh, the body of disgraced money man and sex offender Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his Manhattan federal prison cell in August for telltale signs of homicide despite an official ruling that he killed himself. A pioneering forensic pathologist revealed to Fox and Friends in an exclusive interview Wednesday. The bombshell claimed by Dr. Michael Baden, a former New York City medical examiner who has worked on high-profile cases during a 5 decade medical career is certain to reignite suspicions that surfaced immediately after Epstein, who is awaiting trial on federal sex trafficking charges involving underage girls, was discovered dead in his cell on August 10th. Baden, who was hired by Epstein's brother and observed the autopsy, told Fox, uh, told Fox News its findings are more consistent with homicidal strangulation than suicidal hanging. He noted that the 66-year-old Epstein had two fractures on the left and right sides of his larynx, specifically the thyroid cartilage in Adam's apple, as well as on the surface and left uh, hyoid bone above the Adam's apple, Baden told Fox News. Quote, those three fractures are extremely unusual in suicidal hangings and could occur much more commonly in homicidal strangulation, uh, Baden, who is also a Fox News contributor, said. Well, there's not enough information to be conclusive yet. The three fractures were, quote, rare, said Baden, whose probed cases involving O.J. Simpson, President John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Recorder, producer, Phil Spector, New England Patriots star, Aaron Hernandez, and many others. I've not seen in 50 years where that occurred in a suicidal hanging case, the 85-year-old medical legend told Fox News. Now, again, I'll, I'll have this for you to review on your own. Uh, actually, let me read this last fact here. 
Batten, who's examined more than 20,000 bodies and hosted HBO's autopsy, explained that if a person weighed 120 pounds and their head weighed 10 pounds, there'd be 110 pounds of pressure on the neck at the jaw uh, during a hanging. But if someone put a hand around a person's neck and squeezed, that could double or even triple the pressure on the neck, Batten said. So, there's some interesting markers here. Uh, he also saw petechiae hemorrhaging around the eyes, which is not impossible during a hanging, but it's... Uh, Definitely common during strangulation. I don't know what happened. Um, I think this certainly warrants more invest further investigation. And I suspect we're going to get um, more information coming out. Um, this seems like some kind of a smokescreen. But I think the... Um, not the full truth, but more information is going to come out of this. And then what will the those that are implicated do? Will they then give us a major distraction and that's what we need to be mindful of because there are some dangerous people out there who are most likely implicated with this how are they going to deflect this one uh it will be interesting to, to watch this unfold now maybe this is the start of the distraction this came out october 15th this is a cnn article here former nasa scientists says they found life on mars in the 1970s. We may have already discovered the essence of life on Mars 40 years ago, according to a former NASA scientist. Gilbert V. Levin, who was principal investigator on a NASA experiment that sent Viking landers to Mars in 1976, published an article in the Scientific American Journal last Thursday arguing the experiment's positive results were proof of life on the Red Planet. The experiment called... Uh, labeled Release, LR, was, was designed to test Martian soil for organic matter. It seemed we had answered that ultimate question, Levin wrote in the article. In the experiment, the Viking probes placed nutrients in Mars soil samples. If life were present, it would consume the food and leave gaseous traces of its metabolism, which radioactive monitors would then detect. To make sure it was a biological reaction, the test was repeated after cooking the soil, which would prove lethal to known life. If there was a measurable reaction in the first and not the second sample, that would suggest biological forces at work. And that's exactly what happened, according to Levin. However, other experiments failed to find any organic material, and NASA couldn't duplicate the results in their laboratory. So they dismissed the positive result as false positives, some unknown chemical reaction, rather than proof of extraterrestrial life. NASA concluded that the LR had found a substance mimicking life, but not life, said Levin in his article. Inexplicably, over the 43 years since Viking... None of NASA's subsequent Mars landers have carried a life detection instrument to follow up on these existing results. Now, maybe that's a statement that skews data or skews what NASA's actually doing, because I thought their whole purpose for going there was to find the building blocks of life. And that's how they're wording it, right? They're looking for the building blocks of life. They're looking for liquid water. They're not looking for life, not publicly. You see how it's all in the wording of things here. You have to pay attention to what you're reading here. That's what I try to tell my students. It's all in the wording here. So they haven't actually looked for life, according to this article, at least. Uh, and at least not publicly that we're aware of in this sense. Why, if they had a false positive 43 years ago, why wouldn't they just randomly try to do it again? Maybe it's because they already know the answer. Maybe because they don't want to find the truth. Curious. Interesting. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing more and more uh, information coming out 
about extraterrestrial life. Whether they're actually extraterrestrial or not, I do not know. I think all the attention all of a sudden on the moon and the recent crash landings, where we had two or three already on the moon by various probes that have gone out there, I think that's highly significant as well, and I would continue to pay attention to anything moon uh, that's coming out. But again, most people aren't paying attention. Moving on, Christopher Mellon. Who's Christopher Mellon? This is just a Wikipedia background on him real quick. Christopher Carl Mellon is the former United States Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence and later for Security and Information Operations. He formerly served as the staff director of the United States Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. That's a pretty uh, high-ranking position, a position of trust and credibility in the United States government, in, in my opinion. So here we go. From The Hill, Tom DeLonge sent this out via Twitter this evening. It's Saturday, November 2nd, about uh, two, three hours ago this came out. The Navy acknowledges UFOs. So why aren't they on Washington's radar? And this is written by Chris Mellon. I'm going to read the majority of this. Um, It's important. All right, let's do it. In what could be a precursor to further stunning developments, the U.S. Navy has publicly acknowledged that the advanced aircraft depicted in several recently declassified gun camera videos are UFOs, or what the Navy prefers to call Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAPs. The Navy designates the objects contained in these videos as Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, acknowledged Joseph Gratisher, spokesman for the Deputy Deputy Chief of Naval Operations, referring to the bizarre vehicles that have brazenly operated in restricted U.S. military airspace. Strangely, this shocking announcement seems to have scarcely been noticed by Congress or to the Trump administration. Is the information too jarring and radical to process? Are U.S. government officials in denial? One can only wonder, given the glaring disconnect between the Navy's announcement and the limited government actions to protect U.S. military personnel and the nation as a whole. The vehicles observed are recorded by U.S. Navy fighter pilots seem impervious to altitude or other elements. They're able to maneuver above 80,000 feet. They can hover, then instantly accelerate to supersonic and even hypersonic speeds. They have very low radar cross-sections and use a means of propulsion and control that does not appear to involve combustion exhaust, rotors, wings, or flaps. Since the Navy asserts that these are not U.S. aircraft, we are confronted by the daunting prospect that a potential adversary of the United States has achieved the ability to render our most sophisticated aircraft and air defense systems obsolete. Right there, that's the thesis statement. That's the most important statement, in my opinion. That's the reason that this article was written. Again, my opinion is that statement there. We're confronted by a daunting prospect that a potential adversary of the United States has achieved the ability to render our most sophisticated aircraft and air defense systems obsolete. That's a fear-based statement. It's written quite eloquently, but it's basically saying we are defenseless against them. Again, maybe they are hostile, and I get it. We need people to think that way. But we've also seen a string of events before this disclosure effort even started, going back to the late Bill Cooper, warning us about this. We need to heed that warning. Are we being prepared for a, I hate the term, for a false flag UFO invasion. 
is something going to be staged to look like UFOs? I think that's a very good possibility. Let's go on with this article, but I want you to keep that in mind. Much like the Japanese reacting to the appearance of Admiral Perry's steam-powered fleet in Tokyo Bay in the 1850s, it would seem a matter of utmost urgency to determine who is operating these craft, how they work, and the intentions of those commanding them. I've interviewed numerous active duty and retired military personnel who have encountered these mysterious vehicles without exception. They express grave concern for their colleagues and near disbelief that our government is not reacting more vigorously. The situation is not altogether unprecedented. Some 60 years ago, Americans were shocked when the Soviet Union orbiter Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite, Sputnik garnered sustained front-page coverage, however, and Congress promptly acted on Americans' concerns by approving increased space and defense expenditures and enhanced education programs for math and science. The concerns roused by Sputnik spurred America to enter the space race. The nation rallied to the cause, and the commitment paid off when astronaut Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon a mere 12 years later. Think about that. In 12 years. The government developed the ability to leave, Earth, leave Earth's orbit, fly to the moon, and put a man on it. Twelve years. That's nothing. Now, I strongly suspect there's so much more to that story, and that's not necessarily what really happened. But, I digress. Considered by contrast our government's tepid response to the latest news and UA about UAPs. Some congressional oversight committees have asked for and received briefings, but none has held a hearing, either open or closed. None has appropriated funds for collection or analysis. None has even asked for a report or a threat assessment. Nor have Congress members expressed concern over apparently being kept in the dark on this issue for years by the executive branch, a situation that changed only after a small private organization to the STARS Academy of Arts and Sciences, which I advise on national security affairs, made Department of Defense gun camera footage available for the, uh, to the press and to Congress. Why are we not analyzing the vast quantities of data already collected by America's vast sensor networks, already bought and paid for to see what light the data might shed on this issue? Government paralysis is something we've grown accustomed to on domestic matters, but when it affects national security as well, we truly are a nation at risk. So basically what he's saying is that they're not really paying it much attention despite this evidence here. Again, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the back channels that we're not seeing that he may or may not be privy to, that, that uh, Chris Mellon may or may not be privy to. Um, but I want to read this next paragraph here. Uh, Indeed, examination of major U.S. intelligence failures from Pearl Harbor to 9-11 terrorist attacks and Iraqi WMD shows that in each case we had information that proper, properly analyzed and acted upon could have prevented disaster. We're at a similar place today, with ample warning lights flashing, but no effective effort to pull relevant data from the Murad Services agencies that possess it. So again, he's saying we already have the, the monitoring technology out there. It's already there in place. But he's also suggesting that much like 9-11, much like Pearl Harbor, much like, um, uh, well, not much like, but, you know, Iraqi WMD, we're ignoring intelligence and we're making ourselves vulnerable. And I agree, we should 
know everything that we possibly can. But is this also planting the seed in our minds that these UFOs are bad, are dangerous, are hostile? And I'm not saying they're good, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying I don't have enough information. And yes, err on the side of caution, let's assume they're bad, but, but what if they're not? Continuing on, the National Reconnaissance Office, Defense Intelligence Agency, CIA, Air Force, Navy, FBI, National Security Agency, there is no place in the U.S. government where all UAP information comes together. In that regard, the present situation is akin to counterterrorism before the establishment of the National Counterterrorism Center. Thankfully, new military spending is not required. We simply need to implement an effective strategy for collection and analysis using existing resources. Now, President Trump just started the Space Force not too long ago, and uh, I'll get to in a minute, To the Stars Academy is working diligently on collecting this. I shared, um, not too long ago, I shared the newsletter from the To the Stars Academy, and they said they're going to be doing just that. They're going to be accessing all databases, all um, information sharing platforms across the globe, and pulling in all of this UFO, UAP information in one central location uh so let's see here anyway that's the gist of this article i'll have the rest of it for you to read in the show notes at six sensemedia.net but he's uh he's concerned that we're missing intel and the u.s government's not taking this serious enough and i agree uh, i don't know why this is coming out in drips and drabs he finally, he did mention it in here, you know, we need to figure out who's piloting these ships, and we don't hear it often, but why not? Why aren't we exploring that? In spe- if I was a news anchor, I'd be having a field day with this, but we know they're all bought and paid for, so they're going to say what they're told to say. So I'm going to say it. Who's pilot- piloting the craft? Are they ETs? Are they hostile? Are they friendly? Are these craft autonomous drones controlled by AI from the Borg. I don't know. I'm just brainstorming here. Are they interdimensional? Are they inter-Earth? Are they a breakaway civilization? Are they from Antarctica? Are they from the moon? Are they from a hollowed out moon? Are they from Mars? Are they from below the surface of Mars? They could be from any number of places. We don't know. All right, one more article that I want to share uh, that's relevant to all of this stuff going on. Forgive me I have, if I sound uh, a little broken up or flustered. Uh, as I was finishing up that last segment, I heard a it sounded like screaming coming from outside. My chicken coop's right on the other side here outside, and uh, something got to my chickens. I went running outside, heard a bunch of rustling. I thought it was a bear, um, just because in the leaves everything sounds so much bigger. Turns out it was a possum. And uh, it got drug my chicken out of the coop because I hadn't closed it up yet. I said, oh, I'll close it after the show. Um, that was a mistake. She's okay. She's a little scraped up at one point. She was terrified, but she let me pick her up and I put her and I locked her up tight so they're good. But I couldn't get that possum to move, man. It was just standing right there staring at me because uh, you put the light in its eyes and they freeze. I'm pushing it with a stick. I don't want to hurt it, even though it was trying to kill my chickens. I don't want to hurt the thing. It's just trying to survive like the rest of us. But. It's still there. This was about 10 minutes ago. I took a nice little break and uh, I keep checking on it. It won't leave. I've poked it pretty good with a stick a couple of times and it's just holding on to my fence for dear life. Uh, 
So it'll leave it probably about an hour or so. But anyway, wanted to share that. It scared the crap out of me because I just heard the screaming and then that rustling in the leaves, man. Scared me pretty good. So here we are. This is a fascinating article here. Army partners with former Blink-182 founders UFO research company to study alien technology. This is from the Army Times. I know I mentioned this earlier. The Army Times. That's that's a paper read by many people in the military. So this is, uh, this is huge to be in this publication here. It's the, I'm going to read the article here. It says, much like the universe, the military's affiliation with alien-related subject matter appears to be ever-expanding. In 2017, the Pentagon confirmed the existence of a program that existed from 2007 to 2012, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, that was dedicated solely to investigating reports of UFO sightings. The Navy then verified the authenticity of a declassified 2015 video released by former Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLonge's To The Stars Academy, featuring a bizarre encounter between Navy pilots and a high-speed, low-altitude, unidentified flying object. This April, the Navy confirmed it was drafting a fleet-wide message to establish guidelines for pilots and other military personnel to report UFO sightings, the culmination of a surge in what the Navy called a series of in- intrusions by advanced aircraft on Navy carrier strike groups. See, what's interesting, this is my thoughts now here, they're painting this to be a recent phenomenon. We know that it's not. We know this goes back at least until the 40s, but really this goes back a couple thousand years. We know that, but they're not acknowledging that. Anyway, now the Army has joined the extraterrestrial fray in a big way, inking a contract with the launches to the Stars Academy to collaborate in in the study of, quote, exotic metals, that both parties hope will lead to the development of advanced technologies. As part of the agreement, the Army's Ground Vehicle Systems Center and Ground Vehicle Survivability and Protection Component will lend research resources, including laboratories, to To The Stars Academy, which in turn will leverage what the company asserts are alien metals capable of enhancing the effectiveness of Army vehicles. So we're going to basically give you... um, give the army access to this to make better weaponry and and, uh, vehicle defense in exchange for using your lab. Again, if we're getting the whole story, uh, who knows, man? It's just a scary direction that we're going into here. The Two of the Stars claims to have acquired, designed, or produced these materials, which can offer an array of futuristic modifications like active camouflage, beamed energy propulsion, internal mass reduction, and quantum communication. So what we're looking at, active camouflage, meaning we can make things invisible, uh, beamed energy propulsion, we can go really fast, internal mass reduction, I'm not, I'm sorry, inertial mass reduction, I'm not exactly sure what that is, um, but there's a link to it here, so let's see what that is here. So we can understand what that is. And it's a link where it says, if these U.S. Navy patents are made, then we are in a Star Trek technology world here. You know what? I'll have the link here so you can look at it. It's a whole bunch of stuff here. Um, Inertial mass reduction device. Here we go. Uh, Or an inner resonant cavity wall, an outer resonant cavity, and microwave emitters. Yeah, this is too technical for me. So we'll have to uh, dive into that at a later date. But 
The last one, quantum communication. And the interesting thing about these quantum communicators, these quantum computers, is uh, they're not exactly sure. You have quantum entanglement, basically. One particle is entangled with another, and they communicate faster than instantaneously. Some say they even are communicating across time and space, meaning they can communicate with the past and or the future. Um, so really interesting stuff that that is uh that's going to be coming out I'm, I, again i think this stuff's already out there but it's coming to the public now future has the potential to look awesome it really does but uh i, I think it's also looking pretty scary here details on how or where the launches company acquired these materials were not provided uh, i believe how put off has these materials TTSA has acquired material from various sources and does not comment on the specifics of each sample carried along TTSA chief content officer and Tom's sister told Vice's motherboard. The Army will make a $750,000 commitment to the TTSA research as part of a five-year collaboration. Our partnership with TTSA serves as an exciting non-traditional source for novel materials and transformational technologies to enhance our military ground system capabilities. Dr. Joseph Cannon, Deputy Director, Project Manager of Science and Technology in the Vehicle Protection Systems Devices of the GVSC, said in a TTSA press release announcing the contract. So there you have it, my friends. The To the Stars Academy is now partnered with the United States Army. Now, when the To the Stars Academy had their official launch party, uh, they did a live Facebook event where they're, you know, that's when they dropped the Nimitz and what they were doing. They did state that they plan to partner with civilian and government entities as they went on to explore uh, UFO technology. So, look, this is the rollout here. This is how disclosure is coming. And their goal is to ultimately recreate uh, a UFO based on what they're learning here. Again, I think this technology is already out there. How many times am I going to say that? Anyway, that's what they're that's what they're looking at. Now, interesting side note here. I watched the Edward Snowden interview with Joe Rogan. I highly recommend it. It's very informative. Um, and with Snowden, he does not disappoint um, in just painting the picture and giving the history on this uh, the government surveillance program through the NSA. And then some. Uh, and and they, they're, they're, they're catching everything. They're capturing everything. And, and Snowden does a, a wonderful job. He said something that, obviously, I didn't like what he said uh, about UFOs, if you haven't caught it yet. Now, he goes on to explain the level of access he had. And as he, his, his statement, not mine, he had a ridiculous level of access because his job was to repair uh, all computers. Um for the high-level officials, so he needed to have access in order to take care of these computer systems. So what he's saying is, I had such a high level of access that if there was UFO information out there, and he says, I specifically searched for UFOs and chemtrails and found nothing of the sort, he says, I there's a good chance I would have found it. So he says he didn't find anything about aliens. Um, but... And maybe it's in his book that he released. I don't know. I don't know what search terms he used. And maybe that even that would be classified. Um, but interesting, we back in that day, everybody was using UFO. But he was searching for this information at a time when the unidentified aerial threat 
identification program was being run through the Pentagon. So there was an active program being run through the Pentagon at a time when Snowden was searching and Snowden didn't find it. So I think that negates his comment. Um, there are some projects that are so black, so dark, so hidden, they would not be on the servers that he's using and looking at anyway. But in the channels that he searched, he did not find anything, in my opinion. And maybe, look, Maybe this is just cognitive dissonance, but I don't think so because the UAP program was there and he didn't find that. Um, I don't think the fact that he said that means that, nope, none of that stuff exists. Chemtrails and UFOs and aliens and all that stuff. Anyway, I wanted to acknowledge that. I don't want that to take away, though, from Snowden's credibility. I don't want that to take away from the interview with Joe Rogan. I highly encourage you to go look for that and watch. You can find it on YouTube because it's a it's an important piece. It's important to understand the extent of that surveillance. Um, and he's, he's promoting his book. And I think it's, uh, I'm sure it makes for a great read. So uh, be sure to check it out. All right, my friends. I'm sorry, that possum incident had me all, has me all off my game now. I'm done. It's uh, it's late. It's Saturday evening. It's daylight savings. I'm going to take advantage of that extra hour of sleep that I'm going to get and not stay up too late tonight. So uh, if you haven't done so already, get your copy. I am human food for the archons. Humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. I am getting more and more confirmation each and every day uh, of the content that I put in this book. It's on the right track. It's on the right path. It will put so much into perspective for you, especially with the changes that are coming now more than ever, I believe with all my heart. This will give you the foundation and the background to understand what we're dealing with. We can't make a plan for the future if we don't know where we've come from and we don't know where we are. And this book will do just that for you. It's not going to give you all the answers, but it's going to give you, I think, the proper perspective in understanding the situation that we're in. It's of the utmost importance. It's not a fear-based statement. I'm not saying it just to sell books. Yes, it'd be great to sell books, but I spent five years working on this, but it's a reflection of a much longer piece. You won't be disappointed. If you've read the book, I'd love for you to write a review. Please take the time to do so. It mean the world to me, my friends. I'm out of time. Check it out. SixthSenseMedia.net I am Human Food for the Archons. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of The Seeker Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thanks for listening.